Hey y'all, this is Charlie recording right after the episode. Uh, just let you, just to let you guys know, we had a lot of technical difficulties on this episode, but we braved through the storm. Um, there are going to be some awkward pauses in this one, but just stick with us. They're no longer than like five seconds each, it's just because both of us are paying for college Wi-Fi. So yeah, thanks. Hello and welcome back to the Quacked Out Pod. I'm Charlie, joined by Reed. Uh, we're a day late because, as some of you may have heard, it was Halloween yesterday. Reed, was there anything special going on down south? For uh, yeah, you know the classic. Uh, there's a street called Frenchman. For those familiar with New Orleans, that's where that's the where where the two lane kids go. Uh, so that's where I was at last night. Uh, that was pretty fun as usual, and I missed it last year because of COVID. So right, yeah, that was right. fun. What about you? Nice. I didn't do anything on Sunday, but, uh, you know, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday were all different stories. Um, no, Wednesday, uh, cause, cause Reese, my roommate was out of town, uh, for the entire weekend, all those days I just mentioned he was gone. So we had to celebrate on Wednesday. No sentimental rewatch of 2009 USC or anything. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I was busy doing a rewatch of this game, um, or as much as I could from my available time, um, for those who aren't aware, for whatever reason, Oregon 52, Colorado 29. Um, this was my first game covering as a media member. That was pretty fun. Um, shout out Hell to yeah. the Emerald. I will be doing the same thing this weekend at the UW game in Seattle, so that'll be fun too. Um, but enough about that. Uh, this was kind of a weird game. Um, not, the, not necessarily the margin of victory. You know, that wasn't really weird. Uh, even the fact that we didn't, play amazing you know that that part wasn't that weird it was just the way it, it was the way we played um obviously you never expect to give up four touchdowns to Colorado at home uh that was probably their best offensive performance of the year uh, opponent adjusted certainly is um and then just the fact that our offense did something it hasn't really done comprehensively this season which is yeah for sure all over everyone um, we got a lot to talk about. So, uh, first, do you want to start with Colorado or start with the other news? Uh, we can just get the recruiting news out of the way real quick, I think. Um, so, the big news today was that Nicholas Anderson flipped his commitment to Oklahoma. Um, that's something that people who are monitoring things closely probably uh, maybe didn't expect, but at least it was on their radar. Um, he has an older brother who goes there. Uh, and yeah, that was a hit for the class for sure. Um, he's a good receiver and, and I, I won't, you know, beat around the bush and saying he's not a guy that Oregon wants because there's a reason they took his commitment. Um, but I also think that now you, you still have a pretty good receiver class, uh, with Tataroa McMillan, the headliner, Sategna and Johnson are both solid. Uh, and on top of that, you took three uh, really good guys in in Franklin, Thornton, Brevard, as we all know, uh, in the 2021 class. So I think, you know, if there's a place to take a hit, wide receiver is fine. Um, and the Ducks have a lot of exciting targets um, still lined up in, in the 2022 class. So it's not like there aren't really good players that Oregon could use that extra spot on. Uh, and one of those guys was a visitor this past weekend as well. 
uh, Keontae Scott, a Juco player, likely to project as a nickel. Um, I did an interview with him uh, following his visit that's over on Scoop Duck. That's the place to check all this out, as we say all the time. Uh, that's the recruiting hub for Oregon, really. And so, yeah, head over there, check out that interview. Um, Duck's certainly a player for him. Uh, there's some weird stuff with other visits, too. Cyrus Moss was rumored to be coming. He didn't. Uh, same with Lander Barton. Same with Josh Connerly. Uh, I think there's a good chance that those visits get made up down the line. But again, if, if you want to be staying up to date with all this stuff, um, Scoop Duck and, of course, Justin Hopkins, the, the founder over there, is, is the one with the most inside insight on this whole program. So that's the place to be if you're a recruiting junkie like us. Yeah, exactly. Uh, even before Reed was writing for them, I mean, longtime listeners will know we've been plugging it for a while just because <laughs> right. it's where we cite our sources for a lot of this recruiting information. Um, and yeah, yeah, that, that's all we have to say about recruiting, I think. Um, you mentioned Cyrus Moss, right? Yeah. Did I miss that? Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. All right, check that off the list, and we can dive into this game. Reed, what were your first impressions of this of this win over Colorado? Um, you know, for me, I, I don't want to be a sunshine pumper exactly, but <laughs> honestly, I think that it was – I thought it was a really good day personally. Um, I know people are going to say Colorado scored 29. That's ridiculous. That's embarrassing. Uh, I've – heard that directly from other Pac-12 fan bases and I you know I mean I get where they're coming from again the headline going into this game was obviously Colorado's offense is abysmal and the Ducks could maybe keep them to single digits and that didn't happen um, but ultimately that that's kind of bailed out for me by the Ducks showing up for their big tests they played Ohio State really well on defense and UCLA, they played pretty well. Also, I think that there's a good argument and probably the right argument that uh, UCLA should have had less points in that game than they did if they didn't kind of really go, uh, you know, far above average on third down conversions uh, just based on their yards per play. Um, but the headline for me has got to be the offense. I mean, with Anthony Brown in there, they were practically perfect on offense and I you know I said this a few times on this podcast that I don't think Oregon could score 60 points against air and I think that that was proven wrong this game at least was that you know Oregon actually can execute uh, and AB can have a game where his inaccuracy issues don't halt their drives um, or where he just kind of gets rid of those uh, for the most part at least enough to sustain drives so I think that offense being so good um, is the storyline because, you know, whenever a team does something that you didn't think they were capable of doing, I think that that causes me to reevaluate what this team is and uh, in a positive way in this case. So that was the headline for me. Yeah, I got to agree. Um, I mean, you talk about getting to 60 points, like if, we will talk about the quarterback situation as a whole. I'm not going to necessarily comment on it right now. Um, if we keep AB in the game, we might have had 60 points. Don't think that's out of the realm of possibility, or at least you know, yeah, nine or whatever. I mean, um, they weren't stopping the offense at all no. with him in there. 
Uh, I think it was one field goal drive and, and touch. Yeah. Are you, hello? Oh, sorry. I cut out for a second there. No, you're good. Okay. Um, I just couldn't tell if you were, if you were done or not. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think you look at, especially considering the rotation offensive line, uh, the run game was obviously dominant. And then the passing game, I mean, AB was on point, man. And this is the second week in a row, for the most part, that he's been so. Um, I, I have a hard time kind of getting back on the tie bandwagon at this point, uh, especially considering what he did in his, you know, tiny, tiny sample size, of course. But um, I think it's safe to say we, you know, Cristobal was right about this one, at least for now. Yeah, exactly. And, I, I and obviously, we'll, we'll never know what would have happened with Ty out there. But. Yeah, I don't think that, you know, you need to extrapolate too much off of Ty's one interception. I, I, but I do think it's worth just saying, like, yeah, I mean, that's what happens when you throw a young guy in there. Uh, doesn't mean Ty's not going to be a good quarterback down the road. But, you know, I again, it kind of vindicated what, uh, what Chris Ball had been saying, that A.B. was the guy. Uh, and I think it was cool to see a lot of the teammates uh team members kind of were really happy for AB to have this performance and I think that it uh gave them even more confidence in the things they'd been saying about him being kind of the leader in this locker room. Yeah, definitely. Um another thing that I I started to mention and then didn't make my point about was offensive line. Um I believe it started with Bassett left tackle, which we mm-hmm. talked about last episode. That's a little bit weird. That's not, mm-hmm. you know, usually he plays guard and putting him out at tackle. I mean, Cristobal obviously has a lot of, and he was asked about that, and he's answered it before the same way. Like, they trust their guys to be dynamic. They're all really good athletes. Anyways, Bass there, oh, gosh, who was at left guard? I can't remember. Forsyth was out, so Walker More- was center. Mm-hmm. More started at guard. Yeah, more started at left guard, which is really weird because he's the starting left tackle and Bass yes. is the starting left guard going into the season. So it's interesting. Yes. You don't see someone flip that those two spots very often. But obviously, I said this during the game, I mean, Mirabal and Cristobal know more than us, obviously, about offensive line play. And yeah. it seemed like it worked out pretty well in this game. So uh, I'm interested in what they're seeing there. Yeah, and then Jones at right guard and Sala at right tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, Sala and Walk played every snap. The rest of the guys were rotated at, in and out for at least 15 snaps. Um, Jeremillo got a lot of time at left guard and at right guard, I want to say, um, even though it, it's not on my chart right here. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I mean, that was I think that was pretty much it for guys coming in and out. I just thought it was really weird that um, we had this Forsyth situation for the third week in a row, third mm-hmm. game week in a row at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's four weeks now where we, I mean, or at least three weeks where we kind of thought he'd be okay and isn't. This week we're hearing that he's a full go. That's a direct quote. So I, I guess we can assume that he'll be out there even though that's what we've done the last two games and he hasn't been. Yeah, I think this week was a little different, um, and you might have more insight on this than me because I guess you were actually there watching pregame warm-ups. But I think versus UCLA, he came out in pads. Well, I know versus UCLA, he came out with pads, did some pregame stuff, 
went to the locker room and came back out in just the sweats with the jersey over it. Uh, so that was like he was clearly a game time scratch. And in this instance, I don't think he ever came out in pads. Uh, you might you might rebuke that. Uh, but I thought that he I thought that this this seemed a little more like, hey, we're playing Colorado. We can rest him uh, and no need to put him out there because it's not the biggest game was my read think, on it. I think that was more so the case. I my hunch says that he wasn't out there in pads, but honestly, I wasn't watching too much of warmups. I mean, mm -hmm. first of all, there was a little bit of a mix up with our parking pass. Um, <laughs> shout out to whoever does or doesn't check those in Autzen because you know, our past said Arizona on it. Um, second of all, uh, my, my buddy Aaron and I from the Emerald, um, we were walking into the stadium and some people at a tailgate, you know, just stopped us and said, Hey, you guys want some breakfast burritos? <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> um, that's so awesome. That delayed us a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we had to get our press box food and we had to get the, the they had a bunch of like hot chocolate and coffee and tea and stuff. Oh man, was, you were fat and happy up there, huh? Oh, big time. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, was, it was pretty sweet. Uh, you know, the food was okay. It was, I think they, they can't do like buffet stuff because of COVID. So they just had to do like a, a box lunch sandwich sort of thing. It is what it is. You know, you make the most of it. Um, had a little cookie in there as well. So just, just some insider info for you. But yeah, as far as Forsyth goes, um, I'm pretty sure he didn't even dress. But what you touched on is something that's a, a bigger issue, or not not necessarily an issue in this game. Um, bigger point is that Mario, as we can see from the snap counts, like he wasn't really too worried about letting his starters get a ton of reps out there. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, you look at guys like Noah Sewell playing 35 snaps on defense. Uh, yeah. That's not a really big deal. Out of 65, by the way. Uh, Thibodeau, same number. Um, even a guy like... Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say the bigger highlights are, are Doorless is down there at only 11 snaps, I believe. Um, and then other than that, it's, uh, it's Mace is at 19. Swinson's at 14. Um, Ajax at 30. Even Popo, you know, 42 he gets, but... I think that's a fair bit less than he must have gotten last week against UCLA. Uh, and the big headline was was Brian Addison played. Mm -hmm. I have 63 down, uh, yeah, which leads the defense. Here. And I think that's every defensive snap. That seems wrong, maybe. Oh, I have 65 defensive snaps. Oh, okay. Either way, okay. I mean, it's basically every snap, um, right. which is pretty impressive. And that's kind of what has to happen when – you know, a guy like Steve Stevens goes down on, what was it, the first drive? Second drive? I think drive so. Yeah, it was Colorado. early. Mm -hmm. Very, very early in the game. And, I mean, we can move into a conversation about safety depth as well. Like, guys were dropping like flies out there. Yeah. Both starting safeties. You had Stevens and McKinley leave the game pretty early on. I think both in the first half, right? Yeah, McKinley um, was back in. I think McKinley was in the second half, actually. Because I have him uh, down at 44 snaps, which is a good bit. But he was he was banged up for a second there. Yeah, he was. Cristobal said those guys should be fine in the post-game presser, but I think we were getting a slightly different read on what he said today. Mm -hmm. um, maybe they're not as good as we thought. Uh, I mean, especially Stevens, it seems like. 
Yeah, when you when a question is asked about like safety, health, and depth, and he starts talking about how good the backups played, um, <laughs> you know, that that should be a little bit telling. Uh, but yeah, man, shout out Lucas Noland uh, yeah. to Alton High, stepping out there the the walk on, getting eighteen snaps. Um, Addison as well, obviously. I mean, he's not a walk on, and he's a freak athlete, but uh, he's a guy who you obviously don't see very often on the field. Um, and after moving from wide out to safety, I think last year, uh, I mean, he showed that he can at least play out there, even if he didn't have the best game, uh, statistically speaking, he did have a couple good plays yeah. that were really promising. Yeah. I think that the story with Addison, I think some fans are kind of jumping on him cause he, he got burned a couple times. Uh, but what it looked like to me was that the staff kind of said, okay, we're down Steve Stevens. We don't know what his injury is like right now. Um, and so let's put Addison out there. And, you know, if we're going to have him throw him into the fire, we might as well do it now. Uh, we don't need to protect him for this game. We've got a good lead. Yeah. So I think they kind of were trying to play around with him and see, okay, what can you do? Live reps. We're going to leave you on an island here. We're going to put you in this spot. Um, like, let's get some good film out of this because we have a lead and let's test you. Uh, even if it, you know, for the folks betting on Oregon, it didn't lead to a cover. Uh, I think obviously that's not what the staff is concerned with. Um, and so that was really interesting. Uh, I thought it was kind of telling too that a lot of the secondary players were the ones that stayed in for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mikhail had 53, James had 51, Hill 46, Verone, as we said, 44. So I think that kind of tells me too that um, they were they were trying to see, okay, also how can he communicate? Let's build some chemistry with this unit that he could potentially have to step into going forward in a starting role. So um, that's how it looked to me. And and that's why, again, I'm just not that concerned about the defensive performance. On paper, I get that it's embarrassing. Am I happy we gave up 29 to Colorado? No. Um, is it, you know, I mean, there's not like an excuse for it exactly, but also does it make me say, oh, this defense is not good at all? Uh, no, it doesn't do that because we mm-hmm. we held Ohio State to 28 um, and we were very good against UCLA and I have confidence that we're going to show up and play well in a lot of big moments, uh, at least with what's left on our schedule, especially. I think that this defense is going to hold all those teams in the range we've seen them in, in the mid to high 20s probably um, and that's a fine number with the offensive performance that we saw on Saturday. And that's been building going over these past few weeks. A couple other things at corner, uh, Avante Dickerson gets 12 snaps. That's a career high for him. Um, we didn't have Dante Manning in this game and yet Triquez Bridges still only got 17 snaps. That's a little bit interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jalen Davies got a couple snaps out there. Uh, Scoop David is somebody who's a safety, but I forgot to mention he got injured as well. Um, yeah, that was the other big one. Yeah, we've been hearing his name a lot even since fall camp. Uh, this guy, Verone McKinley, pointed out to us. Um, but yeah, overall, 
I'm not I'm not too worried about this, man. Like, I'd rather talk about how fun the offense was to watch than how, you know, I guess mediocre the defense played against Colorado. Also, Colorado, like, I mean, it's hard to decipher these kind of things a lot of the time, but they looked better than usual. Um, yeah, that's that's how I felt too. Um, honestly, for I mean that you know they don't look they amazing. They look completely incompetent, which is yeah. what they usually look like. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think you know fans obviously of other schools are going to say, well, they didn't look. You know, the fact that Oregon didn't make them look incompetent is embarrassing. And I guess if you wanted to say that, that's fine. Um, I mean, for me, it's just like look at the other data points and how much do you weight them. Because uh, I don't weight the Colorado data point that much. I care more about what you do against good offenses. And Oregon's defense has performed pretty well. Not totally elite, I guess, but um, pretty well. I also think that something that fans don't understand is, um, you know, with how much uh, people have kind of dumped on Colorado's offense, us included, and made fun of that unit, uh, I think that a lot of fans just kind of are like, oh, well, I guess Colorado's just horrible. They're one of the worst teams in the FBS. And that's kind of true, but that's because of the offense more than it is because of the defense. Most people going into this week were saying that the Colorado defense was in the upper half of the Pac-12. Uh, and so this wasn't a group of you know slouches that Oregon was putting up consistent yardage and points against. They were without their best player at linebacker. But, I mean, still, it was a competent defense the entire season before this week. And the Ducks made them look completely incapable of putting up any resistance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, as, as we led with 52 points, uh, season high for Oregon, we hadn't gone over 48 before that. Or we had only gone to 48 before that. Uh, against Stony Brook, 41 against Arizona. So this is a season high by a little bit, um, but it's obviously amplified by the fact that this is an FBS team that we're playing against uh, at the very least, <laughs> even if they're not much more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just looking at some of these stats, it was it was pretty impressive uh, considering this overall performance. Um, again, if you take out the drive where Thompson was in, we scored on every single one, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Um, no punts in this game. Yep. Don't don't think we had any turnovers, if if I can yeah, remember correctly. Other than the other than the Ty Thompson pick, no turnovers. Yeah, yeah. All touchdowns and one field goal that wasn't stopped by Colorado. Uh, really, I mean, it, it ended up being a fourth and five. Hithliday pointed out there was some really weird chain movement on this that really messed with the Ducks' timing. Uh, they had to use a timeout when they shouldn't have, basically, uh, and got put into a fourth down uh, when they shouldn't have. Um, but, you know, they ended up getting down to the CU-9, and I think uh, if it was not a normal drive with time constraint, they have a pretty good chance of punching that one in too. Uh, so, it, I mean, I view it as a pretty much a flawless day by the offense. Obviously not play-by-play. Play. You know, they they had some negative plays individually, but overall the results of the drive, it's 
pretty hard to get much better than this, uh, except for the Ty Thompson one, of course. Uh, seven of ten on third down, one of one on fourth down. That's always nice to see. Um, and then just, I mean, even if we go to raw stats, I'll pull up the advanced ones in a second, but, I mean, 256 rushing yards, mm-hmm. that's pretty damn impressive. Uh, 31 first downs total, that's pretty impressive. Um, I believe only, and I mean, this is something that uh, I've been doing recently when I'm looking at stats, is you subtract the ones that were caused by penalties mm-hmm. uh, for the other team. Obviously, that's a little more situational, but only two from Colorado, for reference. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was 312 yards net passing. Brown was, um, oh gosh, I can't remember his individual one. I'll, I'll have to pull it. It up was 307. 307? 307, okay. 307 and three so TDs on of, 25 well, for 31. Yeah, most of it was him. For uh, Brown. 12 yards per completion for the Ducks. Yeah, dude, it was just insane. Um, again, Ducks never had to punt. We had <laughs> just, a, I mean, I, I could keep going down the list. Like there's, there's a ton of impressive stuff here. Um, and it wasn't like we totally dominated the ball either. Uh, we mentioned earlier, Colorado had something like 65, give or take a couple offensive snaps and the Ducks had about 75. Um, so it's not like we were just suffocating them with possession. Um, it was a little bit of an old school win for the Ducks, which I had in my lead, like, we just kind of kept scoring, and they couldn't keep up with us, even though our defense let them a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not too worried about this. Um, one thing I know we always mention, or at least have in the past couple weeks, uh, tight end snap counts for the day. Um, mm-hmm. We have Ferguson at 29, Matavao at 23. So the freshman's still getting the low uh, – the, Carrying most of the load, uh, Spencer mm-hmm. Webb 14, G.J. Johnson 16. Johnson only had two defensive snaps, so it seems like he's pretty much moved all the way back over to tight end at this point. Um, so, yeah, but, I mean, all those guys contributed. And when you talk about the offense, you have to talk about the freshmen in this game. Yeah. Just kind of as a unit. Uh, Cardwell, obviously, is the the clear name. I think through four he carries, was so he was good. Aver- he was averaging like 24 yards a carry on his first four carries. Um, that's that's always nice to see. Uh, Seven McGee got a, even more carries than Cardwell, I think, or at least more snaps. Um, mm-hmm. He was pretty impressive when he got the ball. Uh, we even saw Trey Benson get it a little bit towards the end. And then obviously, I mean, Troy Franklin had, a, had an amazing touchdown catch. So it was just a great day all around for the Oregon offense. Yeah, I think that um, I think that Cardwell was the one that really stood out for me. Uh, you talk about 18 yards per an attempt there, uh, rushing the ball. Um, him and McGee both getting their first touchdown was really impressive. Um, and yeah, I mean Cardwell was just so good. I think that it is, you know. It's, it feels like vintage Oregon with the elite backs that they've had with a Kenyon Barner, LaMichael James, Jay Stu. We all know those names. Uh, and all of a sudden, Cardwell and McGee feel like they really fit that mold. Uh, that's no slight to Die and Verdell and what they've done for this program, but I think that 
man, Cardwell uh, looked like a different different beast out there. 18.1 yard average on seven carries. Mm-hmm. Uh and that was consistent too. He had a long of 34 on the day. You know, it's not like he ripped off a 70 yarder that changed that uh, and inflated that average so much. It was, he was, that was pretty much what it was. He was re- yeah. ripping off chunk plays every time he touched the ball. Um, and so that was really encouraging. Just made me that much more excited to see what this offense can be. Uh, over the coming years uh, and what their run game can be especially. Yeah, man, I agree. Uh, we've been talking up these three guys all offseason, uh, Benson, Cardwell, and McGee. Cardwell obviously is the second guy at this point. He got an interview after the game. That was really cool. Um, even if there, we didn't you know, learn a ton from it, it's just cool to see guys get that sort of rite of passage down. Uh, same mm-hmm. thing for Franklin. That was really cool to see. Uh, two catches, 44 yards, and that touchdown. Cardwell, I don't know if you mentioned this, but uh, 18.14 yards per play he finished with. Uh, that's over a point per play added. Um, we talk about EPA a lot. That's that's kind of the go-to advanced stat at this point. Um, and he, outside of Brown and Devin Williams, he led the Ducks in EPA, so that's cool to see. Uh, granted, some of these stats... Uh, I'm using game on paper and they, they take their stats from ESPN. I have a hunch that these are messed up. Like, I don't know. It shows the biggest play of the game is like a false start penalty on Oregon in the <laughs> third quarter. So I don't really know how much of this to trust. But uh, yeah, either way, dominant performance by him. Um, and really all three of those guys, I'm comfortable with carrying the ball. Um, Travis Dye only had 47 yards on 13 carries. Yeah, he had the two touchdowns and I mean, it's funny because his looking at his stat line, you would think he's more of a short yardage back at this point, despite the carries numbers. Um, and I'm he, okay he chipped in Carter. a bunch in the in the receiving game as well, seventy five yards and yeah, another yeah. touchdown there. But yeah, yeah, he had that opening score. Um, but I'm comfortable with Cardwell getting Travis Dye carries. I love Travis Dye. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I just mm-hmm. don't want the guy to break down after all these carries. Um, We've seen it from Verdell, and that was even back when he was splitting carries with Die, and he's not exactly a big dude either. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm comfortable with the running back room, which is something you know you had to be a little bit skeptical about with Cyrus transferring and then Verdell going down. I mean, that's two thirds of our three headed monster off the roster uh, halfway through the season. But, yep. But I'm not too worried, um, and if we remember. This, I, I mention this a lot, but I don't know if I explicitly say it a lot. Um, the running game is what, if you throw, if you go back to 2019, we're down two touchdowns in Seattle in the second half. The running mm-hmm. game is what got us back into that game. Um, even though we had Herbert, I mean, the offense went back to the ground. We honestly used Cyrus quite a bit, and he just pounded the rock, and it worked. Um, so I'm, I'm okay with that continuing in the future. That's all I have to say. Uh, and we might have to coming up against Seattle. I'm not trying to get into preview just yet, but they don't exactly have the best rushing defense, um, especially compared to their secondary. So we'll see what happens there. Um, I had a couple other notes, but I can't find them right now. So yeah, anything the, else you got to say? The other big thing I think that we we haven't yet mentioned with this offense is – 
the continuation of the trend we saw, but Devin Williams, man, we it was a big talking point all offseason. This offense has great wide receivers. It's got eight really good ones, but who's the true wide receiver one? Uh, and from a talent perspective, uh, everyone kind of circled Devin Williams' name, but he hadn't quite put the consistency together yet, and I think that this was the big moment, uh, or, or another big moment, I guess I should say, uh, in which he just kept stepping up. Five catches. Um, that leads all receivers. Die also had five, uh, but again, that those are a little different screens and the like. Uh, no one else had more than than three, um, and those that was Johnny Johnson with only ten yards. So I mean, Devin Williams was a bona fide number one. He also took the most snaps of any wide receiver. Uh, and it was just another really good game from him. Uh, again, you know, interesting, I think, when you have 95 yards uh, over five catches, 19-yard average, but your long's only a 25. So that tells me you're just getting chunk plays um, and you're doing it consistently. I liked especially he had a holding call on a Brown TD run, um, gets called back, and then – he steps up pretty much next play, I think, um, if not next play, the play after, and and catches mm -hmm. a deep touchdown pass from Brown. Uh, gets to celebrate in the end zone, and and that was a really exciting moment. I felt like, um, and so yeah, that's just awesome. Having that bona fide wide receiver one really makes this offense click, especially when Brown is locked in with accuracy uh, and. When we have that, our entire wide receiver room looks really good because we already knew we had a bunch of legit guys to fill in at two through five or, or whatever it is. We had a bunch of serviceable guys. We just needed the one guy who commanded extra attention, and Devin Williams is really stepping into that role. Uh, so that's the other big note I had for the offense and why it was so successful on Saturday. Definitely. I think it's also worth noting that um, when – Oregon's offense got out on the field after an impressive Mikhail Wright return. Uh, and mind you, we don't need to dive into summary too much because that would take forever in this game. Mm -hmm. And we've already mentioned a lot of the key points. But on this first drive, uh, you know, you get one Travis Dye run, and then it's two completed passes, three completed passes, all to John, or no, sorry, one of them was to Dye. Two Johnny Johnson catches, one Travis Dye catch. Um, you have Brown keeping it and then Die keeping it and then the penalty and then the Anthony Brown touchdown pass to Travis Die. Um, mm -hmm. We're seeing Oregon throw the ball maybe a lot more than, maybe not even a lot more, but a little bit more than I would expect and some other fans would expect, uh, considering the what has been perceived as a relative weakness at quarterback. Um, mm -hmm. That's not me taking a side on anything. That's just you know stating <laughs> how, how these things work. Um, so yeah, I, I really appreciate that we were letting Brown, you know, take his shots, like get his chances. And he really took advantage. Um, it was good to see, you know, him grab that quarterback position by the throat. Cause that's what we've really been asking for. Like, I think a lot of, for a lot of fans, it boiled down to don't play Brown. We should be starting Thompson every game that gives us the best chance to win. When in reality, a lot of people would have been fine and are fine with just have Brown play better. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's yeah. it's obviously not something you can really just switch on and off. And the easy thing is just to 
say to bench him, but uh, he's proved that he should be out there. And what I have in the notes here is that I think we can officially just kind of put a cap in the, or put a feather in the cap of the QB talk for now. Um, I, don't, I don't think we really need to speculate about it anymore. For the yeah, time I, being. yeah, just another kind of stat that highlights that uh, was PFF grade. It's not perfect, but he was a 88.2 for passing, and that was fifth in all good. of the Power Five last week. Uh, I'm seeing 89 on passing. That's Maybe that's his overall grade, I think, and it was 88.2 for just no, his, passing. I have or 90 as his. I have 90.4 as his overall grade, which is even oh better. wow. So maybe they adjust some stuff afterwards, but um, hmm. okay. Either way, I mean, it demonstrates the point. Yeah, he was right. super effective, <laughs> as always, effective on his feet too. We saw the one slip from him in the first half, and it got bailed out by a penalty. But uh, he didn't yeah, let it continue. Yeah, that was the one bad moment. Know? Yeah. So yeah, any other guys you want to shout out? Should we do offensive and defensive MVPs? Since I just remembered to do it, or should we? Yeah, wait let's. Till, uh, no, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's bring it back. Offense got to be A-B for me. I understand if you want to give it to Cardwell or something, but, I mean, he was just dominant, man. Yeah, I'll go Cardwell, uh, but I no shade on the A-B take. Uh, if you'd gone Cardwell, I would have gone A-B for sure, but um, those were the two. You know, A-B, I think, is is the now, obviously. he's He changes how we feel about this season, uh, and Cardwell this game was kind of the bright spot for the future uh, and changes a bit of the outlook going forward. So those are the two that stood out, definitely. Um, props to Devin Williams as well. We mentioned him. And uh, really everybody. I mean, Johnny Johnson, even purely for the blocking, was great. Mm-hmm. The offensive line was great um, against a Colorado defense that's actually pretty good. Um, right. Again, I, I kind of mentioned it at the top, but the script was flipped on this game, for Colorado at least. Uh, it, the game plan for them is usually, like, if you're able to establish the run and you're able to throw over them, and then, and then you're able to throw over them, then go ahead. Uh, but good luck, you know, their defense is pretty stout. They won't be able to score on you, so there's not much pressure to score. Um, but it was kind of the opposite in this game. Like, they, they, did, they didn't keep up with us. Uh, I mean, we had, I think it was 21 to 7 was the first quarter lead. Um, But you get my point. Like, you never expect their offense to play as well as they did. That being Mm -hmm. said, on defense, this one's kind of interesting for me. Ah, Do you want to go first? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. The PFF grades kind of told the story that everyone was, was. Pretty solid, kind of a sliding scale, but no one was no one was amazing. No one was horrible. Uh, the kind of raw numbers bared that out as well. I mean, leading tacklers, Mikhail Wright was six. Uh, I think that Oregon has one combined sack between uh, Trevin May and Jason Jones. Uh, a few people with some tackle for losses, but nothing crazy. Um, so, you know, I guess I would say Mikhail had a pretty good day. I think, uh, it wasn't like a breakout Mikhail game. Um, but that was pretty solid. So I'll go Mikhail, I guess. I think I'm going to go with Jeff Bossa. Uh, not necessarily because he played out of his mind, but more so that, I mean, this is a spot where he could really solidify his, his starting job. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I think he did that with the way he played. You know, again, he wasn't outstanding, but he was solid enough to where uh, I think we can we can give him the spot. We saw him play well against UCLA last week. We mentioned midweek that he's kind of the incumbent starter now. I mean, he is basically the second starter now at inside linebacker alongside Sewell. Um, and I feel pretty confident with him back there. So at a, at a total position of need as well. It's funny, mm-hmm. before the game, people were noting that like, Oh, all of it's it's kind of weird that like all of Oregon's injuries are like concentrated on the you know on linebacker, and then all these safeties go down during the game, and you're like, oh my god, this is great. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I'll I'll give it to Bossa. Why not? Young guy getting a lot of reps. Also, yeah, shout I out like Jason that. Jones playing probably the most snaps he's ever played. Um, yeah, and 26. according to according to the PFF grades, it was one of his most complete games it seemed like too um that's awesome i mean he's that big bodied dude uh that you don't see much in the pac 12 and i think the sign of him putting it together in this increased role is great uh and yeah him getting 26 also means that guys like dorless uh, had you know a much lighter workload and that's gonna pay pay dividends i think as we go down the stretch of these final four games uh just kind of having a week where you don't put as many miles on the body yeah i i guess real quick he got 28 against stony brook and 30 against arizona being jones Mm. but something you bring up that's interesting and something i was thinking about the other day was these sec teams man like they i said in the off season that uh Commissioner Greg Sankey is just playing chess and everyone else is playing checkers. Um, I mean, he's really got this dialed down to like the SEC can cruise into the postseason with a nice little runway. You know, if you're Alabama, sure, you got Auburn at the end of the year. Like, that's whatever. Uh, And you can't always count on, you know, your opponent being as bad. But I mean, when you get the cupcake weeks in November, it feels a lot nicer on the body going into the postseason than it does. Mm hmm in september you know and that's i mean credit to them i guess for figuring that out um and for nobody else apparently figuring that out but you got to think that plays a big role in how they perform down the stretch in some of these big games that's all i'll say about that 100 percent. the eight versus nine conference game thing just needs to be sorted out because it's it's basically an extra game that these teams are playing in the pac-12 uh and especially just the timing of it having that having that off week so late in the season. I mean, it would be huge if if Oregon had... Uh, I mean, li- you think of what does Oregon have left right now. The big game people are circling is at Utah. That could be Portland State, you know? If that's Portland yeah. State, this schedule looks way more manageable for the Ducks. It looks like, like a, you know, you have two games that uh, are going to be a bit challenging against UW and Wazoo, but ultimately that, you know, you feel like you probably should win, then you get a complete breather, and then you have to gear up for a civil war in a conference-style game. It's not a give-me, but it's it looks really doable. Right now, <laughs> it starts to look like a bit of a grind to have that. I mean, that Utah game is huge. And we literally saw what kept 2019 Oregon out of the playoff was at Arizona State. Again, a week 11 game uh, on the road against a South team. That is literally the game that is taken off your schedule and replaced with uh, with an FCS team or some sort of cupcake. So, yeah, it, it makes a big difference. And 
Uh, I hear SEC fans talking about, you know, having to play at Texas A&M like Bama did and LSU and stuff from the talent perspective. That is definitely hard, but um, this is something that at least goes a, a portion of the way towards offsetting that is having an extra conference game in my mind. Exactly. Um, and yeah, there's no exact calculus to figure out uh, if that's, if it's more benefit. I mean, we know it's more beneficial in that sense. We don't know if it's, you know, easier or harder overall to play one of these schedules. Like, it's whatever. We'll see how the playoff committee thinks of strength of schedule based on where teams like Oklahoma and Ohio State land um, later this, well, actually tomorrow, not even later this week. Yeah, um, probably so today when people are listening to this. Yeah, maybe. Maybe you've seen them already. That's future tripping um all right reed do you want to get into this pac-12 slate you got anything that or do you have anything else to say about colorado no i think we're pretty much good on colorado let's do let's do pac-12 oh boy it was a doozy for the picks this week reed um oh i didn't even look what yeah how do we do bro it's bad it's really (laughs) bad it was a chaotic week man i don't even I, i have no shame in that one between the two of us reed Guess how many mm. picks we got right out of 10? Uh, two? One. No. Did I get it or One. you? You got it. It was Let's Arizona go. plus 21, right? They, oh, the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. It, that. Yeah. Oh, God, man. All right. We both had, and that because that was our only point of difference on these picks. Um, oh, really? We were, oh, my <laughs> <yeah>. God. <laughs> we. <laughs> Oh, we bet on each other and it didn't work well. Um, All right, the first game of the Saturday and probably the most surprising one, I think it's safe to say. Mm -hmm. um, Well, yeah. To me, it was the most surprising. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Wazoo absolutely beating up on Arizona State. This one started, what, like 28 to 0? It was insane. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't get to watch any of it because I was in the box, but I mean, I was checking the score on it quite a bit. I saw at one point Jaden Daniels had like a 50 yard touchdown run that got called back for holding. <laughs> so I feel like that kind of that, that kind of summed up the game for ASU based on what I saw and read about it. Um, yeah, dude, what, what the hell happened? Well, I think it starts with turnovers. Um, five for ASU and specifically highlighted by a fumble on the second play defense goes out, stops Wazoo on downs very next play, a fumble for ASU again, touchdown Wazoo. Then it's a 10 play drive that ends in a ASU interception. Um, and they tack on another fumble for good measure late in the first half. Uh, so by the time that, uh, that Wazoo is up 28 nothing. Arizona State has fumbled three times, had an interception, had a four and a, or had a loss of downs, uh, and missed a pretty easy field goal. So a lot went wrong for them, and I think that their discipline issues kind of caught up with them, and they spot them a 28 nothing lead. Um, Kind of an exaggerated example of what Oregon did versus a Stanford. Um, then they get their stuff. To, yeah, they get their stuff together and they play pretty well. Mount, you know, 
something, but it it's never really gotten in uh, striking distance at all. Oh my god. Um, I'm trying to find the penalty yardage on this. Uh, let me go to team stats real quick. Live searching going on. Oh my god, yeah, five turnovers, only six penalties for 35 yards. That's probably mm. a season low for them, actually. <laughs> um, maybe in both categories, but good for Wazoo, I guess. Um, yeah. Are we at the point where, I mean, we need to start worrying about Wazoo? We've been a little bit tedious for a while, but... I'm worried. I'm worried for sure. Uh, after dark game, it's 9.30, well, 7.30 kickoff. Uh, on the West Coast, um, and they get a bye week before it. That eases the kind of growing pains with their limited coaching staff. So, yeah, I mean, it. you know, it. it's not as worrisome as the Utah-Oregon State games, uh, but I think it's legit. Uh, a legit test, I think, reminds me of that 2019 uh, game against Wazoo a lot that we all know how that ended up, you know, give up the late touchdown. Mikhail brings out a quick uh, uh, kick return. Jawan Johnson gets involved. Cam Lewis kicks it in uh, as at the end of the game uh, as the horn sounds to, to keep Oregon alive there. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that's turned into just a survive in advance week to me more than a let's make a statement here. Um yeah, it's gonna. I think it's gonna be legit. I mean, Wazoo is is uh, if they had started Delora this whole time, you know, they have a case to be. Uh, I mean, they would have beat Utah State probably. Uh, I think they could have beat Utah even with where that Utah team was at then. Uh, so there's a realm when they're seven and two right now. Um, I know that sounds crazy, but at the same time, you think maybe they're. Their coaching staff issues will catch up with them eventually. We thought this would be the letdown game. Everyone did, uh, and it wasn't at all. So I don't, I don't really know what to make of Wazoo. Yeah, me neither, man. Um, real quick, we're not getting into a UW preview right now, but I liked your metaphor of a survive and advance game versus a um, versus a statement game. Which of those do the rest of these games fall into for you? I. Uh, Dude, I think they're all survival games, really. Uh, I think it's knockdown, drag out, fight type of time. Uh, and but we already had that time earlier in the year. <laughs> when yeah. did we get to enjoy ourselves? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could make an argument that this UW game could turn into a win, uh, a convincing win, but it's a six and a half point spread right now. It's a big We're not rivalry. Ready to jinx that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that that's not the mentality at all. Uh, if you get a chance to step on their throat, you absolutely take it, obviously. But, I mean, right now it's just let's get the win and get out of Seattle. That is how the Oregon State Beavers were feeling down in Berkeley this weekend. And uh, I, I openly, I publicly talked about, like, this is a, you know, one-and-a-half-point spread for a reason. I don't know if OSU's legit. I think they are, but I... I not really sure like this is really scary lo and behold vegas was technically not right but i mean they were more right than most of the public picking this game um i don't i was actually listening to this game on the radio in my car because uh 
real quick story. I after the game, my car wouldn't start in the Autzen parking lot, uh, so I had to catch up with some friendly tailgaters and have one of them jump my car. And so I had to drive it around for like two hours, uh, so to charge up the <laughs> battery, you know. Um, so I was listening to it on the radio. Um, and it was a pretty entertaining game from what I could hear. Uh, it seemed like the Beavers were right there. I mean, they got within a touchdown or less, actually. And then they, like, instantly gave up the ball after being down 14. Like, they, they almost tied it up, but then they turned it over. So um, they just couldn't stop Cal, man. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying that, but, I mean, it's true. I I really want to see uh or hear rather what the no truck stops pod had to say about this game um considering mm-hmm. how much of a beaver fan avery in particular has turned into this <laughs> year and she was trying to tell everybody that like oh hey you know the beavers are re- actually a good team like this is disrespectful and all this stuff like yeah okay like i believed <laughs> you for a little bit but you know she said she had the Ducks rank fourth in the Pac-12 after this week. <laughs> I don't know what. Maybe I. <laughs> I don't know what that's going off of. Um, you know what? I'm going to be positive. I want to hear the reasoning for why that's the case. You should listen to the No Truck Stops pod. It's very entertaining. You, no, you should definitely listen, but uh, but I don't know about that take. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I think this for the Beavs, uh, this Cal game, you know, kind of some similar things, not to the same extent as ASU, uh, just in terms of you kind of sleepwalk. I mean, that's what Oregon did at Stanford. That's kind of the recipe here if you're of the, a good team on the road uh, or even at home. But, you know, you just kind of uh, let the team get up early and then you try to claw your way back and you don't quite have enough. Um, and this followed that script in particular. Uh, you know, it was the classic example of, you know, if, if this game had another quarter, uh, Oregon State maybe wins. Um, it seemed like at least Cal kind of pulls away last second there. Uh, but the Beavs for much of the second half looked like they were on the brink of, of pulling it back. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, Beavs were not as physical at the line of scrimmage as they should have been or as people thought they would be. Um, I think Jonathan Smith is really good sometimes. And then sometimes he overthinks it a bit. Uh, I mean, in general, it's kind of like, why is Nolan throwing 26 times uh, when you have such a good run game? But I guess, you know, they also just couldn't establish the run as much as they should. Exactly, yeah. I think they were just trying to claw back into the game towards the end there. Um, Again, when the turnover margin is 3-0... to Um, in Cal's favor, uh, that kind of dictates the dictates the way the final score goes a lot of the time. Um, and again, Cal is not like terrible. I know they have five had five losses like a couple weeks ago already, but um, you know we mention it every pod now. Uh, they were the best one in five team in the country at that point. So yeah, they since the bye week, uh, they've you know they had a really weird performance at. Washington State, but now we think Washington State's pretty good, or against Washington State um, at home. But then they have their bye. Then they come out, play Oregon tough, like we know, crush Colorado, beat Oregon State. That's three really good performances. Uh, they got Arizona State, or they got Arizona coming up, I mean, uh, which they should be able to handle. And, you know, they have a pretty 
winnable rest of this schedule. Um, so maybe they're maybe they're pushing for a bowl game in Berkeley. Who knows? Um, one more thing I want to ask you about this game. So towards the end, the Beavers are down two touchdowns in the fourth quarter with 11 minutes left. Like the fourth mm-hmm. quarter has just started, right? And they score a long touchdown, 46-yard touchdown, uh, to pull within eight at that point. Without hesitation, it's like they had it dialed up already. They go for two to go mm-hmm. to be down six instead of eight. What, what do you think about that? You know, I th- I think it's pretty interesting, actually. I haven't seen it before, um, but something's intriguing about it for me. I think that if you feel good about your team's ability to execute, the good news about doing it then is you kind of uh, get to know the result of you get to know the result of the first one, right? Uh, rather than doing it last second to go up. Uh, because if you miss it, you have a chance to get it back next time you go down there. You'll be down eight and you have a chance, you know, second chance for redemption, uh, kind of double or nothing. But if you do get it on the first one, you just get to, you know, walk away from the uh, metaphorical roulette table and kind of take your <laughs> one point like Chip Kelly always used to do. Yeah, um, yeah. And so... Yeah, you know, I, I think there's an argument for it. It's certainly unorthodox, but I would bet that the numbers probably bear it out uh, to be a pretty effective strategy if you think that your uh, two-point play converts on, you know, 60% or something. I don't know what they would say that their two points convert on, uh, but if it's if it's upwards of 50, it probably is an effective strategy, especially if you think that the Bears aren't scoring again. Well, yeah, and what their announcers were saying on the radio was that uh, they just knew they could get three yards in a situ- in a goal line situation. Mm-hmm. Like they had a play dialed up already where they knew, like they had scouted something in Cal's defense where where they could get it, and they did. By the way, they got the two point conversion um, mm-hmm. on like a Chance Nolan bootleg run. Um, I like it, man. I love the that sort of mindset. Like I'm with you. I'm on the same exact line of thinking. Like if you know you can get the two. Um, or you at least feel, you know, more than confident than you can get the two, like, why not? I mean, if I'm Cal in that situation, like, I'm kind of scared shitless after that, right? Like, I'm only, shoot, Mm -hmm. I went from being up 14 to now I'm only up six. Like, not only do I need to score on this next possession, um, but you need to, like, not let Oregon State get a stop, even if you mess up. So, yeah, um, I I thought that was kind of interesting, and I, I actually liked that quite a bit. Um, for what it's worth, uh, right after that, Cal did pull off a signature Cal drive, in all honesty. Uh, 11 plays, 75 yards, and almost six minutes a clock. Um, and then the Beavs threw a pick on their first play after that. Um, and Cal just <laughs> killed the game after that with another five-minute drive. Mm-hmm. So. Um, didn't work out for them, but I appreciate the effort from Jonathan Smith. Uh, all right. We spent enough time talking about Cal and Oregon state. Um, next game, which again, come with it comes our only win of the week out of either of us picking all five of these games, uh, Arizona feeling like they won against USC. Um, the big storyline in this one is Drake London is out for the season. Really sucks to see that happen. Um, from a pure performance-based football standpoint, 
He's hasn't had an argument to be one of the best players in the country. If honestly, if not the best, um, we were yet to see anyone successfully cover him this year, even Notre Dame. So yeah, man, that kind of sucks, but uh, I'm trying to pull up the final score here and my page is not loading. 41-34 USC. Wow, Arizona really did make it close at the end there, huh? Yeah. Um, and Arizona, I believe, was running two-quarterback system, or was that USC? Uh, Arizona had mostly Plummer in there, uh, and USC was a legit two-quarterback system. 21 attempts for Slovis, 18 for Dart. So that's pretty interesting. I didn't get to catch much of this game, honestly. Uh, I forget what window it was in exactly, but I was focused on something else uh, yeah same. might have overlapped with the ducks eh, i forget yeah, maybe it did i don't remember either i think it was a pac-12 network game too um yeah. all right well congrats reed for picking arizona um <laughs> i had them and talked myself out of it during the episode last time so um <laughs> ucla utah uh, it certainly looks like Utah's in, well, not looks like, they are in pole position for the Pac-12 South now. Uh, they won by 20 in this game, 44-24, to 24, and it was 28-10 to 10 by halftime. Um, Utah has now beaten, really, it's only two other competitors for the Pac-12 South. Uh, they've beat them both head-to-head, being Arizona State and UCLA. Um, they've looked dominant in the past few weeks. Uh, other than the Oregon State game at times, that's that's really been it. Um, yeah, man, I I don't really see a scenario in which Utah doesn't win the South at this point. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll I'll break it down for people real quick. I think that essentially two things have to happen because I'm gonna just go ahead and assume that uh, Utah beats Arizona and Colorado left on their schedule. Uh, which means they would need to lose their other two games. That's at Stanford this weekend and at uh, and against Oregon, uh, as we all know. If they lose those two and Arizona State would also have to go undefeated, that's the only scenario where, um, where you, the Utes don't win the South, I believe. Uh, and that looks pretty unlikely, uh, I think. You know, yeah. Utes are going to be favored against Stanford. Uh, certainly, stranger things have happened. Uh, but if you're going to use that principle there, then uh, your claim that Arizona State is going to go unbeaten through USC at Washington at and at Oregon State is not going to be super strong either. So in all likelihood, it looks like the Utes winning the South, but um, I guess there's a sliver of a hope for, for ASU there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and it sucks for UCLA, too. I mean, this is a team that was... I mean, I can't remember more hype about the UCLA program at the beginning of this season. I honestly, like, I'm trying to... I was going to say since, like, 2011 or anything, but honestly, I don't really remember hearing a bunch back then either. No, there was. There was. Around Mora's team with, with Huntley, they... Dude, I think they got picked by SI for a playoff spot on their preview edition, like in 2013 or something. Uh, but huh. the, your point still stands. But there was some hype in the early 2010s, uh, I will fair. say. 
Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm not embarrassed about not paying attention to <laughs> football. So. <laughs> well, um, the, the hype was proven wrong every time, to be, to be <laughs> honest. They never beat Oregon like they were uh, said, claimed that they would. Yeah. All right. This final game, one of the worst college football games I've ever spent time watching. Um, that would be Washington 20, Stanford 13. Good God, man. Are you fucking kidding me? This is how the game, like, oh, no touchdowns until the fourth quarter. <laughs> Even then, you only get two of them. Like, this was, ju- oh, this was so ugly. I don't even want to think about watching this game. Um, I can't believe I, I could have gone to a party earlier instead of, like, staying behind to not finish this game, thank God. But, like, for a while I was watching it just hoping that something interesting would happen. Uh, and really, it, it really didn't. Even the final drive, it was just like, thank God this is over and it doesn't have to continue into overtime. Um, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. all I got to say. We both yeah. got this one wrong, too. Yeah, Stanford yeah I think... were two and a half point favorites at home and they, they lost. I think you captured it pretty well. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, it, it tells me that I think, uh, you know, Washington is kind of a pretty similar team to Stanford. Uh, and Oregon <laughs> did lose that game, but they shouldn't have uh, in terms of if they put a, you know, if they didn't put a, a C or worse performance for the first quarter and a half and not have their OC uh, and, you know, a couple and the refs didn't blow a bunch of calls on that final drive. They do get out of that Stanford game. So uh, you can't just dismiss this UW team exactly if you're Oregon, but also uh, you come in with the confidence that if we handle our business, they're, you know, they shouldn't really have a counter punch to us if we're doing our thing. If that makes sense. Yeah, I'm totally on board with that. Um, again, honestly, if Oregon plays its A game, there's nobody in this conference that's beating us. Uh, even Utah, mm-hmm. I feel confident saying that. I agree. Um, in all of Oregon's shortcomings, it's been Oregon shooting itself in the foot. Uh, and the one game in which we haven't really done that very much is, again, in the horseshoe. So that's not to say that it'll happen every time or that, you know, we'll definitely play like that against Utah or in a hypothetical Pac-12 championship game. But I'm really interested to see what goes down. Uh, real quick, before we get into any national stuff, um, this just came up for me. Do you want to, have you recalibrated your expectations for this team at all since we last talked about this? I mean, it's still like Rose Bowl is kind of what's expected, right? playoff is like a sort of cherry on top sort of thing yeah i think that's pretty much true um i think yeah you at least want to win the north for sure um and yeah well i think win everything well right right (laughs) um i think that you know the utah matchup in a conference title game is gonna be competitive you know i mean uh i think oregon yeah, you know, should win that game, but uh, Utah's going to have a chance in it. Um, and am I going to say, you know, clean house if Oregon doesn't win that game? <laughs> uh, no, I, I, you know, but um, I do think, 
they have a good opportunity to I, I think in general I mean uh you know five you have five games left here and if you play your best game you should win all of them so in that respect uh you know it's a big opportunity that you just don't want to make excuses for or think too much about you know expectations or or whatever you just want to take it game by game want to know mentality and all of that that talk which you know Chris Ball seems like he's pretty good at and is getting this team to buy into uh and yeah just make the most of the opportunity you have and see what happens but you know like you said it most likely it's a Rose Bowl uh you know and a conference title I think um uh barely even though like I think that it's a pretty reasonable ex- expectation that they don't win the conference also like you know what Utah's going to have a 30% chance to win that game uh maybe even more according to some people uh and that you know and Oregon State still has a chance to win the north on top of that um but yeah the calculus doesn't really change there um unless Oregon State drop another game it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't change at all i don't think um yeah it doesn't beat... unless they drop another yeah, Wish they, they could. Got at Colorado, Stanford at home, and ASU at home before they play us. Um, yeah, I mean they can absolutely lose to Stanford or or ASU. Not that I would pick them to lose either necessarily. I don't know. I'd have to see, especially on the ASU one, who I'd pick. Um, but you know they can't. Again, crazier things have happened in this conference. Like it could happen. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I think I changed my more this week and I changed my expectations about a lot of teams, other teams in this conference, uh, especially, I think, Oregon State and uh, Wazoo being the two opponents Oregon has. I downgraded Oregon State a decent bit after this and I upgraded Wazoo a decent bit after beating uh, beating Arizona so st- Arizona State so soundly. Yeah, I think the prevailing um, method still occurs in this conference. It's that everyone is trash. You never know what's going to happen when trash teams play each other. So, um, Okay, but yeah, bottom line, I mean, it's Rose Bowl or bust. Uh, and if you get the playoff, you get the playoff. But, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think anything less than a Pac-12 title is disappointing for this team still. Yeah, At least I agree slightly. With that. Um, yeah. all right. A couple national things I want to lead with. I, I, we don't need to mention like a ton of games or anything. Uh, I mean, I feel like people kind of know what the big results were and weren't from this weekend, but I, I want to open with a Kirby smart quote. Have you seen this video? It's been going around on Twitter. Yeah. They're recruiting one. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially saying that like what, I mean, he's outlining something that a lot of analysts and fans kind of deliberate over all the time. Um, and it's about the, the concerns between recruiting and coaching, actual coaching. Uh, a lot of Oregon fans have been mad at Cristobal about this in the past and present. Um, about, oh, yeah, he can recruit, that's great, but like stars don't matter, he's not a very good football coach. The thing I want to focus on is how Kirby Smart, coach of Georgia, the number one team in the country right now, um, (laughs) here's how he, and Saban Disciple, by the way, as is Mario, which is why, you know, it it fucking works, okay? 
And um, dude, Kirby, I mean, I've gotten so much respect for Kirby this year uh, in what he's done and both in seeing kind of Alabama's defense start to struggle over these past few years. Like Kirby is a legit recruiter and he's also a really good defensive coach, especially, but go on. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, here's how we talked about how he delineates his time, right? Or outlines his time. He said 50% is recruiting, 25% is evaluation, and 25% is pure coaching. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? <laughs> I didn't even expect it to be that high. Um, I mean, the 50% recruiting doesn't really surprise me, but it's that only only a quarter of his time, and again, this this could be a wild estimation on his part, but regardless, it's worth talking about, like, People get so mad at Mario for not being the perfect X's and O's guy, uh, using his timeouts in the perfect, you know, he's not a good game manager or anything like that. I agree with all that. It pisses me off too. Believe me, I love that kind of stuff. Um, But it is a lot, arguably a lot harder to become a great recruiter, Um, especially when by the nature of it, you're competing against everyone else in the country uh, for this group of players. Um, and to put together the amazing classes that he has is just a testament to why he should be sticking around um, and to why we, we should be keeping him around, frankly. Uh, the other thing that I thought was interesting from this is, uh, I mean, he, he talked about the sacrifice it takes. Like, it's really tough on your family, you know, as a coach. Um, mm-hmm. he, has to, he has to go on visits all the time. You know, it's, recruiting never stops. Meanwhile... You have Dan Mullen in Florida <laughs> saying pretty much the exact opposite, um, saying that oh during the se- it's you know it's the season he's not going to recruit. Um, that happens in the off season. Like, who do you think is going to win those battles for recruits between Georgia and Florida? <laughs> like it, it should be pretty obvious to you. Yeah, um, the results bear also, that out. <laughs> exactly, the results are what bear like okay, good job, Mullen. Like, you're trying to coach for, you know, you're, you're trying to put recruiting aside to focus on coaching. Well, how is that working out for you, buddy? Like, it, it really isn't, is it? Like, yeah. I, and again, what Kirby said is that, like, good players beat good coaches in college football. Mm-hmm. And it was just so nice to have that sort of validation of how how we talk about recruiting in the first place um, and just the value of it overall. I mean, it, it is very important. You see, I mean, anyone who's watched Georgia's defense this year knows that. Like, these dudes are freaks. They're insane, man. Yeah. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, in regards to Oregon and their rivalry with Washington, we'll never really know which recruiting approach works better because there is no recruiting rivalry between Oregon and Washington. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> I mean, they're basically equal programs, really. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm of course, referencing uh, the Jimmy Lake quote that came out of his press conference today. He says... Uh, well, first of all, he was at, the question he was asked was, uh, like, the do you see yourself as competing for recruits with Oregon? Right, exactly. Uh, and he goes, uh, that is way more pumped up than it is. Our batter... Our battles are really the schools that we go against have academic prowess, like the University of Washington, Notre Dame, Stanford, USC. 
we go with a lot of battles toe to toe all the way to the end with those schools. So I think that's made up and pumped up in the media's world. In our world, we battle more academically prowess teams. <laughs> not 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 the right use of academically prowess at the end there, but um, but oh my god, uh, oh, just the delusion, uh, the dude. I, I want to see this man write a paper and turn it in because it's getting sent straight back from any professor that I've ever had. Yeah, or teacher. Oh for yeah, that matter. Oh yeah. I mean, the man cannot. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know if this was like a verbatim, like copied and pasted from like what he typed out. I mean, he, he said it, so it's like, yeah, I, I don't know, like words don't often translate super cleanly into text, but, and I haven't heard the quote myself. I've only read it, but dear God, man, for being such an academic, academically prowess <laughs> program you would expect them to be able to speak a little more clearly i mean it's it just is this not is, like I mean, the good, you know dig that he thinks it is you just pull up the recruiting rankings yeah i mean it's uh it's an insane insane quote uh and i think the funny point that everyone pointed out was you know the coach coach jimmy likes saying that uh, you know ironically Christopher Hall feels the exact same way. I don't think he views Washington as a recruiting rival either. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty pretty ridiculous kind of rivalry talk and just giving Oregon Bulletin board material for no reason. I mean... Zero, zero reason. Um, it, I mean, for those also who aren't as dialed in as we are to recruiting at times, um, I mean, Oregon's flipped a couple UW recruits in recent years uh most notably ben roberts who was one of uw's best recruits i believe mm -hmm. as like a linebacker four-star flipped to oregon this season um <laughs> there was a segment of their fan base legitimately saying that troy franklin would still flip to them um after you know during this summer or, I think. <laughs> yeah oh or, uh, exactly for a long that? time for yeah i mean it turned into a meme that has continued, you know, into the yeah. season, basically. <laughs> and it yeah, still exists to this day. <laughs> and, like, the other, I mean, not to unpack this too much, but the other elephant in this quote is that uh, the students who actually care about academics, who are considering Notre Dame, Stanford, and USC, they're going to go to Notre Dame, Stanford, and USC. Uh, they're not going to go to Washington. Yeah. Because they're... Yeah, those are better, better schools. You know, if I mean, school is your thing. Then don't yeah. go to Washington. <laughs> go to a good school. They're a good school. Don't get me wrong, but go to Stanford if you can. You know, they just like you know. I mean, University of Washington is just making it clear that they want to be the Vanderbilt of the Pac-12, and I fully support that. Uh, I think that's a great path for Washington. You can be the punching bag. <laughs> Uh, I think 0-12 in 2008 was a great look. <laughs> they filled that role very well before. They shouldn't have any problems sliding right in. Um, yeah, man. You want to get that into was, some national games now? That was nice. Yeah, I, I forgot about that. Um, Georgia can beat I, the crap out of Florida, as we all knew they would. Go ahead. Can I do my quick rant on Ohio State? Yes, please. I'd love okay. to hear it. Okay, so here's the, here's the big issue on Ohio State. 
everyone just wants to have a hot take about them because they're Ohio State. And fan base, media have all collectively overreacted that they're too good, that they're too bad, back and forth this whole season. And the reality is they are a team that in a normal year is somewhere from five to eight. Maybe in this year you could push them up to three or four, but not because they're the same as Georgia, uh, more so because we don't have other bona fide playoff teams. Anyways, when Oregon beat them, that was not because Ohio State is, you know, the 15th best team in the country. But at the same time, when they run through the rest of the their, you know, five next garbage opponents, and even though they beat them soundly, it's not because they're basically Georgia. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, I shout out Split Zone Duo because I like their podcast, but last week they were saying, yeah, Ohio State has the best offensive line in the country. I mean – Okay, but based like you have to play a positive, like a plus EV defense for us to say that you have to earn it against someone. And we saw them struggle against a good defense this last weekend, which I think is what you're getting to against Penn State. Are you back? I cut out for a second. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're good. Okay, Um, cool. Anyways, can I keep going here? Um, Please, please. Okay, so here is the big takeaway from Penn State, Ohio State. It's that every person who said that Ohio State was going to beat Oregon by three scores if they lined up on a field again is frauds who don't know what they're (laughs) talking about and were completely invalidated in the game against Penn State. Because guess what happened when the, when Ohio State played another decent team? The exact same things that showed up against Oregon showed up again. If you watch that game, I mean, yes, like we've said, like Oregon versus Ohio State is a competitive game. Ohio State could win. Ohio State could pull away because Oregon, you know, because Anthony Brown throws a few interceptions, whatever. But... That's not the expected result in this game. Every single, like, the exact thing that Oregon did to them in week two, they could do the same thing right now to them. Uh, I'm completely convinced of it. Um, Mm -hmm. And, again, that took a really good performance from Oregon to do it, but that's what they did when they lined up on the field. And this game showed that Ohio State is vulnerable to that same thing again. For people who did not watch the game, let me tell you what happened. Ohio State was up. I mean, Penn State, first of all, moved the ball on them all night. All night. Penn State was Until able the to, very end, yes, yes. Yeah. There was uh, like one drive where they needed to score and didn't, but continue. Yeah, and Penn State did this without rushing the ball because Penn State can't rush the ball against absolutely anyone. If you remember uh, nine overtimes versus Illinois, yeah, that's because they can't run the ball for three yards against a horrible defense. So, yeah, they couldn't do it against Ohio State either. Oregon can run the ball. So uh, that's one point for the Ducks in that realm. Um, anyways, seventeen or it's 7-10, to 10, Ohio State leads. They need They get a scoop and score to go up 10 points at the end of the first half. 
pretty big bailout call or not bailout call, but a big spot for them where they get the type of momentum swing while they're at home that, you know, typically the underdog is going to need to pull this off. Still, Penn State overcomes this. They get a field goal then the half. They score to tie it. Um, and Ohio State's offense is pretty stagnant. Uh, you know, they need a big play uh, to get their touchdown um, going forward, a 68-yard run from Trayvon Henderson on their second possession of the second half. That puts it 17-27 to 27 Ohio State. Penn State keeps coming back, um, and the big moment of this game is a Penn State. Uh, Penn State oh. basically they score a touchdown to go up one, um, but the ruling on the field is that uh, the receiver went out of bounds and didn't establish himself back in, or I guess went out of bounds without being pushed by the God, by the Ohio State defender. Me off so much, I was screaming in Rennie's man with my mom <laughs> and her like friends because it was. <laughs> It was homecoming weekend. I was screaming, and everyone was staring at me. And I was like, he got shoved out of bounds. He's allowed to come back at me. Like, yeah. Oh. Yeah. I mean, you know, the the letter of the law, I guess, is, you know, you're was he forced out of bounds? Now, you know, I yes. obviously, I mean, yes. Like, but with how they call it, exactly. Like, like how, we need to realize how this there rule was is actually officiated. with him before mm-hmm. he got, was, before he was out of bounds. Therefore... He was, you know. Yep. It sh- this should be obvious. Like so, oh, that God. literally. And it was that wasn't the only instance of, of Penn State malpractice in this game. Yeah. It's it's literally Penn State would have been up by one uh, if that game isn't if that play isn't called there uh, with it deep in the fourth quarter. So you tell me Penn State did that to Ohio State without a running game. Um, you know, please, please explain to me how Oregon would have no shot of beating Ohio State if they played again right now. Because I, I don't get how you can even hold that opinion. Uh, Reed, when's the, without looking, when's the last time Penn State won a game? Um, geez. Uh... Oh my God! Well, they they've lost their last three, haven't they? Mm-hmm. That would be October second. And what yeah. day is it today? November first. <laughs> yeah. That's all yep. I gotta say. Um. Yeah, man. This game confirmed for me that we should be ranked ahead of Ohio State. Hundred uh, percent. I was kind of on the fence about it last week. You know, I mean, Ohio State had been convincing, and we hadn't been as convincing. But dear God, man. There's no way. And no. I, I actually, I have more faith than most that we will be ranked ahead. And again, by the time people listen to this, you probably already know the answer. But we're still recording, we're recording this on Monday night, so we don't know what will happen yet. But I'm eager to find out. That's all I have to say. Yeah. Um, I can go real quick through the rest of these results because there's not a ton. Please uh, do, yeah. Yeah, I think the big thing is, you know, if if you didn't wake up early and watch Michigan Michigan State, I feel bad for you because it was one of the best games of the season. Uh, and it was really cool to see Michigan kind of have control as the favorite and people write off Michigan State for a second there and then watch Michigan State climb all the way back and actually win at home. Uh, it was just what makes college football great, honestly. Um, 
other than that, the big stories for Oregon nationally for the playoff picture, all of that. Uh, I put out, you know, my list uh, with S and P projections of teams that could go eleven and one in the Power Five, twelve and zero in the Group of Five, kind of as my my list of who's still technically alive in the playoff discussion. Uh, we saw six of these teams go down on Saturday. Uh, Iowa lost big to Wisconsin. Pitt lost a close one um, to Miami, I believe it was. Clemson. Oh, Clemson. No, you're right, Miami. Miami. Uh, Miami. Yes, Miami. Uh, Fresno State, uh, Ducks big win, uh, beat undefeated San Diego State. Uh, that was... That was a good thing for the Ducks, honestly, not the biggest. Uh, Kentucky goes down big to Mississippi State. Mike Leach wreaking the kind of havoc that we've seen uh, him do in the Pac-12 for so long. Uh, Auburn beats a really injured Ole Miss team that was kind of out of gas. I think both those teams are pretty good. I think Iron Bowl could be really interesting this year. Um those were the big upsets. Otherwise, uh, oh, and also Houston over SMU, which is a big hit to Cincinnati's playoff chances uh, or resume. You know, we'll see what the rankings are. Uh, Cincinnati unfortunately beats uh, my Tulane Green Wave. Other notable things: Oklahoma. They play them close, though. Hey, real quick, the Green Wave. Mm-hmm. Respect to the Wave, man. Y'all, y'all were in that game in the first half. Um, so Thank it's you. another kind of lackluster showing from Cincinnati. I mean. I, I find it baffling that, like, these other teams, you know, Cincinnati, Oklahoma, Ohio State, are not being held to the same standard as Oregon in terms of struggling with teams they should be demolishing. Um, 100%. 100%. Yeah, that's all I have to say. Um, I think that the other big... Yeah, I think that the other big ones uh, were just... Oklahoma looked good. Uh, that was good for them. Uh Notre Dame survives versus North Carolina. They're still alive. Uh, they're not going to get in over in Oregon, but they're still alive technically. Uh, Iowa State goes down to West Virginia. Uh, Wake Forest and Oklahoma State both looked good as well, uh, and they're still technically alive. Wake, honestly, is is really, uh, really. I don't know if they're a bona fide playoff contender. In fact, I would say they're definitely they have not. To be man. No, come on, man. Well, Good respect to Wake. They technically I, are. They technically yes, they are. are. I, I respect what they've done. That's it's the I most important do. thing. Uh, although I will say they are underdogs versus North Carolina, and there's a good chance that they're going to be underdogs versus NC State and Clemson in their two games after that. But Yeah, the game they, at Clemson is... Yeesh, week try 12. to prove them wrong, Wake Forest. You know, good, yeah. best of luck. Um, that's it. That's That's it. That's pretty much all I have. Yeah, that's all I got, too. Uh, again, we'll have more reactions to the playoff rankings when they come out tomorrow. Again, depending on what time you're listening to this, they may already be out. But either way, I think that's kind of a good primer for or like a reminder of where people's heads are kind of at before this um, rankings drop. Um, yeah, you got anything else for this episode? I think I'm good. I think we're good. Uh, I think we're at a good spot. And uh, yeah, sorry for this being a little bit late. Uh, we will dive into all of the UW stuff, hate week, all that on the midweek episode, as well as <laughs> react wait. to playoff rankings. So yeah, should be fun. For sure. 
send us any questions or anything you might have on Twitter at DucksPod. You can find both of our personal handles there as well. We're basically tweeting about duck stuff all the time. I don't know why I said basically. We are tweeting about duck stuff all the time, so go follow us there. Uh, Five-star <laughs> reviews are much appreciated. Um, if you have Apple Podcasts or whatever. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for that, and uh, go Ducks. Go Ducks.